Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. You are on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, and no accident or cosmic dust stir up that took place and then poof, here you come. No, God has you here on purpose and for a reason. And we talked about uh, being created in the image of God and what that can look like. Next week, we're going to be discussing um, what it looks like to have our covenant restored and the new covenant that takes place. Today, I want you guys to bear with me. We're going to dive into what it looks like from the moment of creation to what got us in the mess that we're in now. And that's going to be found in Genesis chapter 3. So let's go ahead and dive into Genesis chapter 3. We're going to walk through this. In verse 1, now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the certain, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. It's interesting that the first thing that the enemy comes up against is what has God said to you? He always starts with this idea of attacking your relationship with him. The first temptations that you will always, in fact, any temptation that you'll face has nothing to do with the actual action that he's trying to do, but he's trying to convince you that God's way is not the right way. God's holding back from you. In the next verse, it says that, and you will not surely die. For God knows in that day you will eat of it and your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this is the idea that the serpent, or the, or the devil, continually does all the way in 2023 is this. You have a conviction of something in your heart, and is that really what God was really saying, or was he more of a metaphorically saying something? Is what he's saying about gossiping about that person, I mean, is that real or is this the exemption to that? Like, he knows your heart and your heart's not to be a bad person. Your heart's not to hurt anybody, but you're just relaying information from one source to another source because after all, we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we should know how to pray. That's it. Mom, I want you to pray for Linda. And here's what Linda has told me about Linda. But because you're spiritual, I want you to pray with me. And then we have a dialogue about all of Linda's dirty laundry. Well, that's not gossip. It's prayer. See, this is the trick that the enemy is continually doing today. Is He's trying to convince you that God is okay with you finding gray areas in his, in his voice. It's not the blatant sin. We, we're not going to go grab you know, a handgun and hurt somebody. It's the idea of how close to the line can I get. I've been in, I did youth ministry for over 20 years as a youth pastor, and that was the number one question that I would continually get. How far can I go in my relationship before I cross that line? In other words, how close can I get my toes to the edge before it becomes sin? And this is the line that we're continually wanting to live. As the devil goes, did God say you can't eat anything? Well, he didn't say we couldn't eat anything. Well, what did he say? Well, he said we couldn't eat it. We can't even touch it. Oh, you can't touch it. I, I'm, now, I'm, God didn't say that, so she's adding to his words. I bet if you touched it, you wouldn't die. Just, just touch it. 
And it says that she looked at the fruit and it was good to eat. And she grabbed it. Uh, well, I didn't die. So maybe, maybe the whole thing's a facade. You know, when we, when we find ourselves disobeying God's law and God's rules and, God's, and the convictions of the Holy Spirit, you know what happens the moment you sin? Not a whole lot. Like, we have this expectation that if I make a mistake, bam, there's a consequence. And that's not what takes place. What typically takes place is there's this flinching, I got away with it, it's all okay. But what happens in our world is that as we break our covenant and our relationship with God, you may think that there's not a consequence today, but it can come up down the road. So Eve gives Adam the fruit, and he eats. And the eyes of their understanding were open, and they felt something shift. There's an a, a, a inwardly feel. It says that their eyes were open and they saw themselves naked. And then God began to walk. And it says they hid themselves. And it says that they were afraid from the one man, the one thing that could make everything better. And that's exactly what has taken place is that the sin enters the world through our disobedience and then wants to isolate us from the very source that can restore us. Okay. (laughs) And what happens is that God walks the world, walks with Adam and Eve, and, and they say we were, we were naked and afraid. And God says this very powerful question, who told you you were naked? Who said that? You, you weren't clothed, and then all of a sudden I ate the apple, and poof, all my clothes fell off. So your outward position never changed at all, but something on the inside of you has shifted. And that's what sin does. The outside consequences may not be there, but there's an inward shift that takes place because a rebellion against God is an inward thing before it ever manifests itself outward. And it says that as they realized that they were naked and afraid, that God says, who said that you were naked? This is in Genesis chapter 3. And uh, I don't know. And we do what we do. It was this woman you gave me. Wait a man up, bro. <laughs> Eve? Uh, it was the snake. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. So God takes a lamb kills the lamb, clothes them. And then unfortunately, this is where everything shifts. Of the man, he said, the woman that you gave me, I love that. God, this is your fault. I sinned because of you. I disobeyed you, God, because of you. You did this. If you wouldn't have given me this blessing, I wouldn't have this problem. Because you have done this, you are cursed, they're talking to the serpent, more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go and you shall eat of the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Can you go back to verse 14 for me? In verse 14, it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed. But notice, who did he curse? 
Huh? The serpent. He cursed the serpent. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and conception and the pain and child bringing forth children, the desire for your husband, and he shall rule over you. In verse 17, then he said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I've commanded, cursed is Adam. No, cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, but thorns and thistles it shall bring forth, and you shall eat of the herb of the field, and in the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread until you turn to the ground. From, from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. Notice, he cursed a serpent. Part of the curse is that you will experience pain in childbirth, but he never cursed Eve. And then he cursed the ground that Adam will work towards. And here's the thing that we've always been convinced is this, is that because of your sin, you are cursed. There's a fine difference between being cursed, living under the cursed, and dealing with opposition against God. God did not curse man. What he ended up cursing was the ground that man was working on. But in that verse, he never says, and Adam, you are cursed with a curse. Eve, you are cursed with a curse. He did say that to the serpent, but he didn't to the man. Because why? Because God didn't curse man. He cursed what man was doing. And this is the big point, because you are created in the image of God. And we have this idea that because we were created in the image of God and now we have sinned, that the image has now been destroyed and we are cursed. God never replaced his image out of Adam. He never took his image out of Adam. He never looked at Adam and said, you are no longer mine. He never looked at Adam and said, you no longer represent me. He never looked at Adam and said, you no longer have the same abilities that you had. No, he cursed the ground that Adam worked on, but he never cursed Adam. And here's the thing, is that the world and the church has convinced us that because you have sinned, God has cursed you. And that because you have sinned, you no longer are an image bearer of God. And because you have made mistakes, you no longer represent God. No, the reality is is that he never withdrew his image out of Adam. And you can see this in Genesis chapter 5 because the Bible says that that he created Adam, right, out of the image. And and then Adam then creates Seth out of the same, uses the exact same Hebraic word. From Adam, from God, he created Adam. From Adam, he creates Seth. It's the same flow, showing that humanity's relationship with God is still, though fragile, still in connection. That even though there's a main issue here, that Adam passed on the image of God to the next generation and to the next generation and to the next generation, all the way to where you are today. And no matter what has taken place over thousands of years, every man, woman, boy, and child is still an image bearer of God. The curse was never against the image bearer. It was against the ground. He didn't curse Adam. He cursed the ground that Adam was working on. And there's this, this idea that we, we, we have been cursed and that we ourselves are are. We are living under a curse, all that fun stuff, but you are not cursed. And it gets to this point where we have then withdrawn the image of God from us, so therefore we are now equal with the animals. My dad loves his dog. 
And Baron loves my dad. He thinks he's probably five pounds, but that's just not the case. He's a good 120, I would imagine, German Shepherd. That's a big dog. Maybe you've got a good dog. That when you come in and you jiggle the handle, it comes running up to the door, sits there, its tail's waggling, you know, wagging, and, and they're excited, and they're the king is home, the queen is home. My cat despises everybody. <laughs> we are a nuisance in her world, and my one role is to empty her litter box and make sure she has enough food to continually expand she's in the prairie jabez like she's just continued to expand everybody that comes over like is she pregnant i'm like she was spayed like no there's no way she's just mm. she she's a big girl <laughs> some of you guys love your pets and that's beautiful good glad you put sweaters on your dogs you put them in strollers you walk around do you do your thing a few years back for, for a Christmas present, got my dad this photo that he took of him and his dog. And we had it blown up and like, look, it looks like a painting, you know, those canvas 3D paint things. Got it for Christmas, thought he would love it. The same Christmas, so I tell my sister, and she's like, ha, I got you beat. I'm like, what'd you do? She took my grandfather's World War II medals and all of his stuff that he had, and she had it shadow boxed and professionally done. Remember, I, got, I think I got mine at Walgreens. She had hers, like, professionally done. He opens his, and I'm like, oh, Heidi, this is just amazing. This is great. Thank you so much. Opens up mine, tears. <laughs> he got choked up. Heidi goes, are you kidding me? And I went, boom, got it. <laughs> He takes care of his dog. He loves his dog. But you know what's crazy is that your animal, your dog, your cat, your ferret, whatever it may be that you guys have, doesn't stay awake all night worrying about the future. They don't. Uh, your dog isn't worried about their pups, whether or not they're going to get to a good school. Your cat doesn't worry about its kittens getting off some kind of street version of catnip. <laughs> they don't wonder what happens when they die. They don't like death because every animal and creature knows death is unnatural. That wasn't God's plan. They resist death, but they don't stress over the eternal aspects of life. I began pulling at this thing and this string that we're walking through here. And as I began to pull at it, I started realizing that one of the biggest things that separates us from the rest of creation is this idea that we should all be created equal. Animals don't think that way. You get that, right? Two dogs come in. What is it? We're like, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, we're equal, right? You step on one dog's land, and they will come after every other dog. The idea that we are all created equal and this idea of a human equality is a God image idea, yes. not a Democrat, Republic, independent idea. God put it inside of each and every one of us that we have something different than every other animal. 
And that is called the image of God. The idea that a person's gender or skin color being a difference maker is a lie from the enemy. Let's call it what it is. It's a complete lie from the enemy. And it's so funny. It's like God doesn't see color. God's not colorblind. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard anybody say in my life. He made everybody. I'm translucent. I don't know why, but I try to get a tan. I just can't get it. Like, God is a multi-flavored God. He has so much diversity within his own fingertips. He, God's not colorblind. So anybody goes, well, I don't see color. You should. You shouldn't judge anybody by a color of their skin or by their gender, but you, it's not wrong to say Pete's white. I'm super clear. Like, it's obvious. It gets too cold, you'll see my veins. Like, it is what it is, y'all. But the lack of pigmentation or an abundance of pigmentation doesn't change that we are all God's image bearers. So the idea of we are going to have this this push for an equality in a society because of gender and, and, and race has been since the beginning of humanity. Just mankind, because of sin, have decided to lower themselves to the levels of the animals to create classes. That's a sin issue. Because one of the biggest things that we thought is that we have, since sin, have no longer have the image bearers of Christ, so we are just like the animals, so we should create hierarchies like the animals do. And that's not what God intends at all. And now what's been going on over the past, you know, few hundred years, more or less, is that we're pushing this beyond just a color of skin into the idea of when does life even begin? Can we just kill all people? And Psalms, and, I, and this is such a heavy thing, and, and I want you to hear me, like in Psalms 58, it says this, the wicked are estranged from the womb, and they go forth speaking lies from birth. Fun fact, I've got two kids. Have you ever... You know, you didn't have to teach your kids to be dishonest <laughs> or to be violent. We're, we're all family. How many of y'all got a, you had a biter? You had a kid that was a biter. It's okay. We can talk about it. It's not, it's not shameful. Like, and the problem is, is that we think that they, they replicate it. It's like you've gotten a fight with your spouse. And you're like, you know what? And then the kid's like, oh, that's what we do. Okay, no. <laughs> Noted, Dad. Got it. How do you guys handle consequences or con- conflict? We just bite each other. Like, no. Kids have this thing that they get pent up and they just get angry and they get emotional and nah, and they just bite. It's what they do. It's not a representation. You didn't teach your kid to bite. You didn't teach your kid to lie. Some of y'all did. But you don't, like, you don't have to teach your kid how to lie. They just do it. Job 14, see if I can get to that real quick for time's sake, tells me this. Who can bring anything clean out of something unclean? No one. Job 15, what is man that he could be pure? He who is born of a woman that he could be righteous. Psalm 51 says this, behold, I was born. 
Born, brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive us. This is a hard part for churches because we don't talk about this. Because the Bible clearly points out to that it is in the womb where sin arises. So can I say this? If it's in the womb where sin arises, then in the womb where life arises. And if life is inside the womb, then here we are. And now I want you to hear me out. People make horrible decisions in their lives. I have made horrible decisions in my lives. And this is not a shameful place. We repent, we move on, we, we continue that progress. It's a heavy topic. But I want to be very clear in the grayness of our world where it's my body, my choice. In the grayness of the world where everybody gets to make their own decisions, the Bible is very clear that life is in the womb. It's in the womb. And we want to devalue the rights of the mother. Notice when God looked at Eve, he says there's going to be pain in childbirth, but he never cursed the child. What you are withholding is a blessing of the Lord. And isn't it just like the enemy to take what God has blessed and convinced us to curse it? Can I go a little further? Just, can I tell you how cunning and crafty the enemy is? That, okay. The two most oppressed people group in history are the Jews and African Americans. The two most used people groups that have been convinced about abortions are the Jews and African Americans. The enemy is so afraid of you guys and, and so afraid of people of color and the power that's within and the boldness that's within that he's convincing us to do his work for himself. And it's a shame. It is an absolute shame and a travesty that an injustice that has taken place from humanity to humanity continues to take place today, and we call it law. We want to talk about equality, yet we want to mass murder people on a regular basis. And, and I can't figure out what's happening where the screw, screws got loose in our brains to think that one was wrong and one is okay. It was all wrong, and it's still wrong today. Whether or not I can have a physical conversation with somebody and say it's, it, that you shouldn't be in chains or whether or not I should just silence you from birth, it's wrong. You are created in the image and likeness of God the moment you were conceived until the day you die. Jeremiah says this, that God looked at him and says, from, their mother's, from before your mother's womb, I knew you. I, I conceived you. I thought of you. I focused on you and I put you in that spot. Every person matters. Amen. And what happens is, is that we, we have this issue where our sin and our lifestyle of sin and living under the curse for our, our, our lives has created repetitive behavior. This weekend, I took my daughter to Walmart. Have you ever had your parents look at you and say, you're welcome? Because you created clones of yourself and you gave them hell and now they're laughing because now your kids are doing the same to you? We're at Walmart. Y'all, I've been quick on my feet fast with, with my words my entire life. I can read people and speak and do my thing. 
And my mom used to have to like, she'd see, she, she would be looking down the road at things that I might would say or do and then silence my mouth, you know, just be quiet. Before I could even say something, silence. <sighs> so, yeah. And so, yeah, this weekend we're at Walmart and we're going to check out and we've checked out and now we're walking out the door to the lady who is going to read our receipts to make sure that we didn't steal anything to which my daughter looks at her and goes, those are nice pants. The lady goes and turned her back. Just rolled, looked her up and down, rolled her eyes and turned her back. I saw it. I thought McKenna just said nice pants and just kept walking. We take three steps. She said she better fix her face before I yank that hair out of her head. I said, I'm sorry, what'd you say? I said, that was rude. She better fix her face or I'm going to yank that hair right out of her head. I'm like, and then she does this thing with her hands and I'm like, I don't know if I should be proud of you or, but today she chose violence. Like that's what McKenna does. We duplicate who we are. We teach kids some things, and some things are just naturally inside of them. You don't have to teach your kid how to sin. It's inside. It's inside. And I'm just telling you it's inside. Romans chapter 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short. It wasn't just Adam. We've all fallen short. He continued to tell us that the wages of that sin is death and separation from, from God. Romans 5.12 tells us this, that through one man sin entered the world. And it didn't leave when Adam died. It continued this entire process. And this is where we see ourselves, is that we have watered down what is called in the Bible sin and called it oops. I have made mistakes and I have willfully chosen to be in rebellion, both. I've known what was right and I have chosen wrong. And then there has been moments in my life where I honestly didn't know. It was just, and I've looked back at the Bible and go, wow, that was wrong. That was sin. Both extremes in my life. And can I tell you, every single man, woman, boy, and girl has done the exact same thing. We have all willfully disobeyed God and we have made mistakes not unknowing. And can I tell you, it's nothing but sin. The word sin means missing the mark. It's the idea of a, of a uh, I won't put, <laughs> I won't get a bow and arrow and shoot this time. It's the idea of a target on the wall and we pull back our bow and we miss. It's, it doesn't hit the target, it's off target. Every time God gives us a target and we miss, it's called sin. It's that, I know that's harsh. And sin separates us from God. <clears throat> and the only way to adjust that is to turn towards God. Yes. But calling it something else other than sin is not ever going to help us turn towards God. And it's funny because people talk about church hurt. I was church hurt because they told me I had sin. No, you're not church hurt, you're rebellious. I mean, it's, you don't want anybody to tell you that you are wrong. I have had people tell me I was wrong my entire life. You can take it for five seconds. It, it, is, it is one of those things where church hurt isn't correction. We correct because we love. 
Rebellion says, I don't want your correction. I want to stay where I'm at. It's the defiant kid who goes, I'm not moving anywhere, and they pitch a fit. And we all grab a belt and hand it to a parent, and they go, what are we supposed to do with this? It gets to this place where we look at it and go, correction is love because you don't want to stay in your lostness. We talk about sin and we talk about repentance because we love you enough to say, don't stay stuck, but move forward. Back to Genesis chapter 3, God cursed the ground. That Adam, have, you ever, have you ever had resistance at work? Like, have you ever worked really, really hard on a project and then all of a sudden something happens to that said project? But maybe you've got a, 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 a logistical nightmare that you fixed, and now all of a sudden there's a random shortage. Or you figured out your cash flow problem, and all of a sudden a machine breaks down. Or, or maybe you're working hard with, with this project, and you've been investing into this person, all of a sudden they take a different job, and now you have to start all over again. Can I tell you, there has been struggle with our work since Adam. And it continues. And can I tell you, it's not because God hates you. It's because God loves you. Because what is intended to take place is there's supposed to be a frustration with our work, and we get to a place where we go, it's not supposed to be this way, and it should force us to turn to a father to go, why is this happening? And he goes, because of you. Like me looking at God and going, why is this happening? And he goes, this is why I, I just, I, I've been doing the same thing to you over and over again, Pete. He's like, God, I just fixed it and it's broken. What's going on? He goes, I know. <laughs> How many times have I looked at you and fixed you and helped you and you keep breaking it? Our toil with work is a representation of our relationship with God. We constantly fix something and then it constantly breaks. It constantly fix something and constantly breaks. Our relationship with God is we constantly get healed and restored and forgiven and then we get back into sin. We get healed, restored, and forgiven and we get back into sin over and over and over and over again. And you know what? His grace keeps coming. But the point isn't to stay in this moment. The struggle will be there for the rest of your life. I wish it went away. I wish I could give you a magic prayer and four songs and we could just never have any kind of temptation ever again. But the reality is, is even if the, the enemy was to disappear today, the temptation in your life would still be there today. Mainly because we've created mindsets that are repetitive behavior that cause issues over and over and over again. And this is why the word says renew your mind because your mind is continually creating a problem. It's putting an investment in the stock market that reaps dividends, that gets reinvested, that reaps more dividends. That it's the same idea inside of us. We have invested into our thought processes, which creates habits, which reinforce, which create more thought processes, which create habits. And it's a cycle that continues to happen over and over and over again. And unfortunately, the church isn't going, hey, guys, this is sin. It's, hey, it's all good. He died. Get your money's worth. Isn't that what the hyper-grace thing is? Because he died for your sins 2,000 years ago. Doesn't matter anymore, man. Just live your life. YOLO. I love a good buffet. And my mission at a buffet is not to eat to get full. It's to eat 
So I feel like the owner looks at me like he needs to go. <laughs> like I want to eat at a buffet to a place where I feel like I'm dipping into his pocket a little bit. <laughs> Y'all understand? Maybe it's just the guy thing, but it's just, and I'm like, yeah, man. Like I want him to start sweating. I'm like, whoo, we broke even. One more bite and we're going to be up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my mission. And yet this is how Christians are trying to do with the blood of Christ. How much can I get away with and still be okay? And if I live this lifestyle for the rest of my life and then come to find out I'm 85 years old, 95 years old, and I'm like, hey, you know what? Time is ticking. Hey, God, all that stuff, my bad, G. We're good. We're good. Great. And it's like we're trying to trick the system. Have you ever done that with like discounts at a store? They have this store, but do you offer this discount? Can I apply that discount to this discount? And I can get double dipped. And I've had Amazon send me a package recently, and they accidentally sent me two. And I went, Christmas came early. So I called. I did the right thing. They're like, don't worry about it. So I got what I wanted, and I got something. Like I get to give something away, and I get to keep from myself. I get to double dip, and that's what we're doing with God. Is I got to live like hell. I still get to go to heaven. So when I get to, get to heaven, I'm like, bro, it was a close one, right? I know. We dap each other up, and I got in. Those are the good old days, right? No. The moment that we glorify our sin as the good old days is the moment that we haven't understood the cost of our sin. If we're glorifying our past, then go back to it. Please, by all means, go back to it. If the cross is a worse choice for you than your past, go back to your past. The cross only works when you realize you have no other options but him. Looking back, wishing you could have those good old days, and not to fix it, but to just relive it for just a little bit? No. You are stuck in a cycle of sin that is not going to be broken until you realize the wrongness of the sin. And this is where Colossians comes in, where Jesus shows up to fix everything. We find ourselves in our weaknesses, and we find ourselves in our sin, and we find ourselves in our lostness, and we go, what are we supposed to do? Read Romans, Romans chapter 1. Paul looks at all the Christians, all the Jews, and goes, hey, 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 y'all are toast. You think just because you've got God? What? No. Romans chapter 2, oh, Gentiles, you guys are toast too. <laughs> so what's the point then, Paul, living a, being, being a Jew, being a, a, an heir? Why? So you can have the law to know you're toast. So then what now, Paul? Well, because you have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, you're going to be separate from God for the rest of your life because of what Adam did, because of what you continue to do, because of what your kids will continue to do. It's perpetual. It's generational. It's ongoing. Sin keeps going. But I've got good news because of one man, Adam. Everyone screwed up. But because of one man, Jesus, it can be restored. Romans 5, he looks at everybody and goes, you are an enemy against God. I don't care if you want to say I've been a good person my whole life. I don't care if you say you were raised in church your whole life. I don't care if you never knew about God or you've known about him your whole life. Romans 5 says you were an enemy of God. There's no gray area there. 
You weren't bros the moment you were born. He's loved you indefinitely, but you were in direct opposition. Well, when was I direct opposition against God? When you repeatedly choose a sinful lifestyle against God's holiness, you are in direct opposition of God. This is harsh. And then Romans 5 shows up and he looks and he goes, but in your sin and in your enemy, God sent his son. He sent it to restore. In your lostness, he said, I'm going to make a way where there was no way. In your weakness, I'm going to make a way where there was no way. Pete, you have no idea what I've done. You're right, I don't. And you have no idea what I've done. So can we just agree with that one? We all have our own issues. I, I, I think it's funny because Romans 5 continues to say, and where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. But like some of us needed extra grace. But it's there. Jesus makes this weird correlation in Luke where he, he, he talks about the measure that we forgive, we will be forgiven. And I think it's interesting because to be a person that understands how messed up they were is a person who can have the ability to love all people. But if you think that you were just messed up a little bit, can I tell you, you will only love just a little bit. But if you realize how much in the whole you really truly were, you can increase your level of love. And then when you realize that I was just complete lost in everything and I had no chance, you can increase your level of love. And when people do bad things, you go, man, I've been there too. I can increase my level of love. And you're going through this because as long as we just sugarcoat our past and our present, it will limit how much grace and love you can extend. We don't glorify our sin. We recognize our fallenness so that we can love greatly. But we will never love the world if we don't realize we were one of them. Well, I never did drugs. Great, you were a liar. I never slept around. You didn't think about it. You thought about it, so I'm sure you're there too. Well, I never killed anybody. Well, I'm happy that you made that one. But have you ever been so angry at somebody? Because Jesus says to hate and to have anger is like murder in your heart. I think all of our options of saying how much grace and how much love can I extend? What about somebody who's talking about me and putting me in the ground? Have you ever put somebody in the ground? Well, not really. As a prayer request? <laughs> Did you spill somebody's tea? It doesn't matter. We take our eyes off of who we are, and once we take our eyes and go, man, Pete, you are a disgusting, filthy sinner. And then I can put my eyes on Jesus and go, you would love that? What did you see? And he'll say, I saw the image of my Father from creation inside of you. 
and I will push through the darkness of the darkness to get to your heart to tell you how much I love. And that's why the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. But you don't know that he's good unless you first know you were messed up. Giving a starving man food, he recognizes a good thing. Giving a person who just left a buffet a cheeseburger, it's going to make them nauseous. And this is one reason why the world and the church is pushing away the idea of God because they don't realize that they are starving. They've convinced themselves they're full. But you're not. We've glorified our sinful nature and created this idea that I'm okay. Jesus is my add-on. He's the seasoning on my steak. Just add some extra flavor to it. I've been good. I could eat a steak without seasoning, but I'll add a little bit on, make it a little bit better. Until you realize that you are nothing but a glorified dog turd, you'll never appreciate the filet mignon he's creating you to be. And this is the problem with our world is that we're not calling a spade a spade anymore. The church isn't doing it. No one is doing it. I'm not saying we walk around with turn or burn signs, but we have to get to a place internally that I can no longer love unless I realize how lost I was. Okay. Here's the beautiful part. Because of Christ, he doesn't fix us. He creates a new. He doesn't take the fragmented pieces and get some hot glue and go put some blood here and put some blood here and there we go, it's still leaking. No, the old is gone and the new is here. Therefore, you are a new creature. You were nothingness. But because of Christ, ha, he's created something new. And this is how we create the separation between my past and my present. I recognize where I was, but that's no longer who I am. But because I've embraced this new identity and a new creature and a new, 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 new everything, I can appreciate what he's done for me and love from this place, not that place. But before we get to here and loving all people, we've got to leave this and come here. Yes. So here we are. The Bible tells us, we call it the ABCs. You accept, you believe, you confess. It's the Romans road. You accept that Jesus died for your sins. And you believe that he rose from the dead and you confess it with your mouth. You do those three things, the Bible says you are saved. You are on the right path to have a life that is glorious. That's what we have to do. It's not complex. It's not hard. You don't, there's no trial period. God doesn't hang out with you for 180 days and go, let's see how I want to keep this contract going. No, it's, it's done and it's over with and we live a new life. And it doesn't matter if it's happened once or twice or 300 times. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven and gets up eight. Even if you accept Christ today as your Lord and Savior, I promise you within 72 hours, you're going to make a mistake. But his grace is sufficient to go back and go, God, I need to pivot. God, I need to pivot. 
I need to turn back towards you. If you're in this place today and you say, Pete, I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I need to do that today. I need to do that today. I just want you to throw your hand up. We'll recognize that today. Wonderful. Please, you, Jesus. It's that simple. I was lost. I am lost. I need a Savior. I need help. For everybody else, hear me when I tell you this. It's time that we leave the old and embrace the new. And the only way you're going to love the world deeply is by understanding how lost you really were. Stop sugarcoating it and look at yourself and say, I was, but now I am. And the way we do that is repent. God, I'm sorry for lessening what you've done for me. I'm sorry for watering down what you have done. And I want to embrace to the fullness everything that you say that we are. We were this and we are that. I let go of the old. I embrace who you say that I am. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to have some failures. I'm going to make some wrong choices. I'm just speculating in the future that we're going to have to have this conversation again. But God, over and over and over again, every day and every second, I declare that you are Lord of my life. Even when I make mistakes, you are Lord of my life. And I love you and I need you. Fix me. Fix me. Course correct me. God, restore anew everything that was lost. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're in this place today and you say, Pete, I need to talk. I need more conversation about salvation. I need more conversation about repentance. Whatever it is, I'm here for you. But can I tell you, the curse that has taken place over over the world is broken through Jesus. Next week, we're going to go a little bit deeper. Now that we are all on the same page in salvation, Pastor Allen's going to explore what that looks like in our world and how, with the curse being broken, we apply it to every area of our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.